Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bloom Theory Podcast with me, Jillian Choquette. And today, as you can see, I have a very special guest. Oscar is someone that I met in college, I believe, uh, my sophomore year. And since then, he has graduated, received a master's, and is now going to DO school. And so I am so excited to welcome him onto the podcast. He has done so much since we last spoke, and so I am just picking his brain about applications to med school, DO school, his master's program. He is just a wealth of information. I'm so excited to share this podcast with you guys today because I know a lot of you are kind of in the college age range, and so I'm sure that a lot of you are looking into med school and looking into grad school and seeing what that process is like, how to um, apply, and what makes a great application. And so I'm just going to pretty much jump right into it because he has so much amazing, so many amazing tips. If you guys can and if you like this podcast, please share it to your Instagram stories or share it with friends. It would really help get it out there. And also rate and review if you have not already. I want to read one review, which I had on Apple Podcasts. So on Apple Podcasts, you can not only rate, but you can also review. So I wanted to read one because I thought it was super cute. This one says, Ready, Set, Bloom. Jillian is an inspiration from even the first episode. She and her guests have a way of making you feel grounded, understood, and ready to bloom. Great podcast, Jillian. Keep doing what you do best. Thank you, whoever wrote that. Um, I really appreciate the feedback. It's kind of hard for a podcast to know whether people are liking it other than just having more listens per week. Um, So if you guys can, um, you can leave a review just on your feedback on my podcast, on Apple Podcasts. And so with that, let's get on with the episode. Hi, Oscar. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to ask you questions and catch up about what you've been up to since graduation. So first, can we just can you just introduce yourself and talk about what you've been up to and what research you've been doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, so hey, everyone. My name's Oscar. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, getting a chem bachelor's with Jill at Salisbury University. Um, so I guess I graduated a year uh, before Jill, and then pretty much I went off to University College London uh, to get a master's in cancer biology. Um, so that was a super exciting experience, but uh, halfway through it pretty much, uh, COVID hit, um, and all hell broke loose in London. I mean, all over the world pretty much, but uh, being American and Trump had announced a travel ban, So I prematurely flew back to the United States uh, where I had a job lined up actually to work for a neurosurgeon in Colorado. Um, So actually halfway through 2020, I moved literally from London to Denver. I left all my stuff in London, had to get that like shipped uh, to me later. But um, pretty much I I landed in Denver and I worked in a neurosurgery lab where I studied uh, adamantinomatis craniopharyngioma. Uh, which is a pediatric brain tumor. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a word twister. Um, so it's it's very rare um, tumor of the pituitary, um, or I should say cellar region of the brain. It doesn't really originate um, in the pituitary, but next to it. So it causes a lot of hormonal 
um, imbalances in children. So actually it can affect adults too uh, later in life. So it's got a, a bimodal distribution in terms of like who it affects. Uh, but it is still very rare. Um, and I had the pleasure of working on developing cell lines for this tumor uh, because there are none uh, for the past two years. So pretty much from 2020 until uh, three months ago, I was in Denver doing that. Um, and it was an amazing experience. I got a lot of um, clinical hours in. I got a, I got a lot of hands-on experience doing wet lab research, basic science research, as well as clinical research on the side. Um, so I really got this, um, this cool exposure to both the um, scientific world as well as the clinical world, um, which were kind of the kind of like uh, important experiences that I wanted um, in terms of going into medicine. You know, I wanted to make sure that I had uh, kind of checked off a couple items off my bucket list before applying. Um, so that experience was definitely one that um, very much concretized my decision to go into medicine. Yeah. So I was just going to ask, did you finish your ma- Did you have time to finish your master's before you had to up and move back to the U.S.? Or did you yeah, have to finish? Yeah. It? So, um, yeah. So pretty much what happened is I, w- I was lucky enough to have passed all of my didactic um, courses pretty much in London before the pandemic hit. So I actually took all of my exams, even my final exams, um, did fine on those. But then we were just about to start the research portion of the year, which was actually around four or five months. Um, so obviously, I didn't get to do in-person research in London. So what happened was when I moved to Denver, uh, my program, they pretty much got all the professors they were going to allocate to us for research. Um, and they pretty much had us rank uh, the projects we wanted to work on. So there was a very varying amounts of projects that we would pretty much do in silico. So we would uh, we could do it remotely and it would all be computer based. Um, but we pretty much had a list to choose from of all types of different cancers, uh, GBMs for for um, intracranial tumors. There were neuroblastomas for endocrine tumors. I mean, there was kind of everything. So I ended up doing research on neuroblastoma and I did that for six months um, using this program called R2. And pretty much what I did was uh, I correlated kind of uh, patient outcomes with a very specific set of genes uh, called dual specific phosphatases, which uh, play a role in the MAP kinase signaling pathway. Um, and as you know, that's, that's just like a very common pathway that can be, um, uh, you know, up or down regulated in, in certain cancer types. So I did that with a professor called Dr. Andrew Stoker. Um, if anyone ever plans on doing research at UCL. He was amazing. He's one of the biologists there. Um, and I actually had an amazing experience. Like I, I don't even think I ever butted heads with my professor and I've never met him in person. Um, and I ended up doing work with him. Yeah. We had meetings every day. It was kind of tricky to juggle the time difference. Uh, but we, we made it work. We made it work. And um, it, it was an absolute pleasure to work with this guy. So honestly, it's, it actually gave me a lot of skills, too, uh, that I was able to channel into my, to my work in Colorado. So um, that's pretty much how that went. So I wrote my dissertation remotely um, and then pretty much sent it off to UCL. And then the committee looked at it and um, approved it. Wow. So how much of your job afterwards was clinical versus wet lab? Because you did say you did a little clinical. Yeah, so I would say 90% of it was wet lab. Um, the reason why I say that, although I did have a lot of clinical experiences, because most of what I did 
um, was was wet lab research. Like I, I came in, I digested tumor samples right from the OR uh, to actually isolate specific cell types to, to get my cell lines going. Um, with that said, you know, that 10% isn't really 10% because I spent a lot of time in the OR shadowing. Um, well, not, well, I was technically working, but shadowing the neurosurgeon I worked for. Um, and then, so I, through that, actually, I was able to meet with a lot of the other surgeons, not just in neurosurgery. Um, and those guys are always looking for people to hop on projects. So I ended up doing a couple uh, clinical projects um, that surmounted to uh, a paper or two, uh, one paper published, the others in in the review stage, I guess. Um, so it was really cool. It, it was, yeah, so that clinical aspect I got pretty much from like being in the hospital. Um, and then there's just like projects that I was given um, that were very pertinent to craniopharyngioma still where uh, we would pretty much just accrue information from outside sites all across the nation who had their own craniopharyngioma patients. And then they, we would pretty much run systematic reviews on their data and things like that. Wow. Yeah, I noticed that it seems like people who do research and it's clinical research, but they also have a little bit of bench skills that they learn. It seems like they have a step up on the application process. So what do you think on that? Just because, I mean, I don't have too much experience, but just what I've heard. So what's your take on that as far as applying to med school? And also, if you can just talk about the application process in general. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess I can answer your first question. Uh, yeah, I'll just answer your first question. Um, you know, I'm going to say that that is that very much depends on the school um, and very much depends on the person looking at your application because um, applying to medicine uh, is a crapshoot. Uh, there's definitely boxes you need to tick off, but in terms of what they look for, I mean, there's no, there's really no standard, uh, you know, protocol to follow in terms of, you know, what you need. Uh, but I think that clinical research is, is a big one in terms of getting you into the hospital, quite literally, uh, because people tend to think clinical research, they tend to think, you know, you're just behind a computer and you're crunching out numbers, you know, on an Excel sheet, and then you write a manuscript on it. Um, yeah, honestly, that that is a big part of it. Uh, but the, the other important part of that is that you get the chance to actually, you know, shadow um, in the hospital with those doctors who are who you're working with on these projects most of the time. Um, so this clinical experience, you know, is, is very much double-sided in the sense that there's clinical research, um, but then there's the actual clinical side of it where you get to shadow uh, with the physicians, you get to see what they're doing. And then that really exposes you to, um, you know, how healthcare is practiced in, in a hospital and the role of nurses, occupational therapists, PAs, uh, MDs, you know, uh, MAs, everybody in the hospital, how they work together. And I think that clinical research is, is great in, in that aspect where that you, you need to understand what you're getting yourself into uh, before you apply, because you, you can apply to medical school. But if you've actually never been with a physician in, in the hospital and see what they do on a day to day, like you might hate it. Um, so that's a very big one. And I don't think you can apply to medical school without um, having done that type of, of clinical work. And I say clinical work and not not so much clinical research, because Clinical research is, is good and all, but you don't like medical schools don't really expect you to have like 10, 15 papers, you know, published when you apply. I mean, one is already great. Um, you know, even if it's in a high impact journal, that's that's amazing. 
Um, even if it's not, that's also amazing that you already have a publication under your belt, you know? So um, I think that people tend to stress a lot about the research aspect of thing, uh, me included, when a lot of the stuff that are on applications ask you to describe what you did and what you learned from it. Um, and I think that what, uh, given what I saw in a, in a lot of the essays I had to write about, which I'll get into, is is the fact that you really need to explain yourself um, about these clinical experiences you've had and how that motivated you to, to, to go into medicine. Um, and then there's a big difference between going into medicine like an MD or a DO program uh, versus applying to a PA program or going to dental school or going to nursing school. Um, so there's there's that it's that type of minutia that programs really look at to make sure that they know you understand what you're getting yourself into. Um, so um, to get into the application process, um, so for everybody, I guess, who doesn't know, um, I'm going to Liberty University College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, it's a deal program in central Virginia. And the application process is different and the same as the MD process. So I actually applied twice to medical school. Um, the first year, I only applied to MD. So when you apply to MD programs, you go through something called MCAS, which is A-M-C-A-S. Uh, and it's very much a general application. Uh, it, it very much looks like the common app, uh, but for medical school. And then pretty much you... Uh, fill in all of your information, like where you were born, you know, like what high schools you went to, what middle schools, uh, do you have a record, like all that type of stuff, um, including a background check, uh, which, but the background check pretty much, they, it's only once you're accepted into school that they'll run a background check on you pretty much. Um, so fret not <laughs> students who have a record, you have time to get your stuff expunged. <laughs> Do you, know, uh, but with that said, do you know how far back they go? Yeah. Just curious. Because I know sometimes like for certain jobs, they say, oh, go back three years or go back five years. Do they specify on that? You know, for anyone who may be no. concerned about that. No. So um, what they do is you pretty much have a yes or no box. Let's say, do you have a record? Do you have anything to disclose? And I mean, like this goes from everything from a parking ticket to murder. I mean, like it's really everything under the sun. Um, but they give you a box to explain yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think that I, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here. If you have a parking ticket, I would not. <laughs> box, okay. Um, if, if you actually do have, you know, some type of record that you're concerned about, I would highly reach out to whatever registrar you got that offense in to see like what the expungement process is slash like if it even shows up on a record. Uh, but with that said, you know, you're, it's in your best interest to hit that no box. And then, like I said, you will, they will only run a background check on you if you get an acceptance after the interview. So you don't actually like sign up for a background check when you do the MD or the DO app. Um, so, you know, it's in your best interest to really, really sell yourself. You don't want, you know, school to screen out your app because you hit that yes box, which is a possibility. I'm not saying schools do that. I'm sure schools actually look into your cases. Um, but pretty much what happens is when they run a background check, they do it through like a like a third company, like a third party company. And then usually that those companies, they'll do like a nationwide and a statewide search. Um, and then they'll do like a like a sex abuse and like child abuse registry. Mm -hmm. That's similar uh, to any, any job. Basically, it sounds like. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, you don't want to. You, 
if you know that you have a record and it's one that you can explain, but it's one that you weren't very honest about when you're applying, like I would highly consider looking into how long it's going to take for you to expunge that record in your state um, before you apply. Um, and, and I say that because I think that it's, it's important for people to be conscientious about what they're doing. It's a lot of money. It's very strenuous to go through the application process to get that far along just to get rejected because you weren't honest about something. Um, so these are all things you kind of need to consider. But, you know, people will go uh, on SDN, which is Student Doctor Network, or, you know, they'll go on like Reddit and they'll read, you know, kids like say like, hey, I have a case. You know, I went to a party. I got caught with this and this. You know, what do I do? And then you'll read a lot of like keyboard warriors type out oh, you're fucked, like, you can't do that, you can't apply, like, don't listen to any of that. Uh, it's in your best interest to focus on yourself. Um, and honestly, I think that depending on what it is, just hit that no box and deal with it later. Like, if you really, I mean, deal with it later on the app, in the sense of like, you should really keep track of like, what cases you have, and make sure that you can get those sorted out before you apply. So <laughs> with that being said, going back to the application process. Um, did we already go over kind of what it involves? I think you, you briefly said we're talking about the essays and yeah, just the differences. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so pretty much what it is is, okay, so you, you give all like your biography, you know, that, that yes or no background checkbox, and then you have a personal statement um, and the personal statement on the main application. So your primary application is the MCAS application for MD. And then it's called the AA COMAS, which is AACOMAS for DO programs. Um, and both of those have a personal statement section. It's the same question. Why do you want to go to medical school? Um, and you can write as, as much as you want. Um, what I did, I, I wrote, I think, uh, a, a bit more. I think it was a, a page and a half. Um, like 1.5 spaced and pretty much you just upload that document like in a word file, um, or a PDF. I think it takes either one, but pretty much it's, it's very much open-ended. Um, so, you know, it, there's a lot of tips and tricks on how to write a good personal statement, but, uh, you know, I've applied twice, uh, first year, no dice, uh, second year worked out for me. Um, uh, but the difference that I made between the two actually is making sure that I'm, uh, very much explaining, the experiences that have led me to become interested in medicine, what I did to learn more about medicine and how I concretized my decision to go into medicine. I think that if you can nail those three pillars, um, you already kind of have a good backbone for your essay. Um, it's important to be personable. It's important to not be afraid to talk about experiences you think were beneficial in your decision to go into medicine. And I say this because uh, MD and DO schools, they go through thousands and thousands of applications. Um, so, you know, the person who's going to be reading your application, they, they want to read something that's going to pull them in. So you need to start off with something that's, that's very much vivid, something that's colorful. Um, so my second time around, I, I really changed it up. And I, I gave an experience of me being in the OR room and really explaining what I was seeing, like the smell of the blood, the shavings of the bone, uh, the smell of the bone, like really things, you know, that, um, you know, would grab a reader in. And I've read a couple of the personal statements uh, of other medical students, which inspired me to write my own. Um, and it's very much those types of things that really, you know, pull readers in. 
if you give it to your brother or somebody else and they read it and they're like, yeah, it's fine. Like, no, it's not like you need to go out. You got, you got to find someone who like does this for a living. You have them read it and you have them tell you, you know what they think of it. Um, what's also important is to make sure you explain where you're from. Um, I think that, you know, it's important to really express your true colors, your, your nationality, your race, your ethnicity. Um, and a lot of those experiences, you know, throughout your childhood and upbringing that again, you can tie in back to medicine. Uh, but those are things that are really important and that really make you a standout applicant. What makes you unique compared to the other thousands of applicants? Usually MD programs they have around, um, they have anywhere from 10 to 14,000 applicants a year uh, for like 150 spots. And then DO schools have around eight to 10,000 applicants per school for the same amount of spots. Um, so with that said, your personal statement is very, very, very important. Um, it's, you got, you really got to chisel away at it. It's not fun. Um, but it's something that, you know, you should be proud of turning in that personal statement at the end of the day and putting in your application. Uh, with that said, after your personal statement, you have, again, this is for both applications. Like I said, the both applications, very similar. Um, you have a section where you get to put in extracurriculars. These extracurriculars range from uh, honors and awards, um, clinical experience, publications, uh, research, as in like wet lab, basic research, community service. I'm going to say this again, community service, community service, community service. I like cannot believe how much community service you need to do to get into school. And actually, the second time around when I applied, one of the things I focused on was getting more community service done and volunteering. What, how many hours would you guess is a good amount to shoot for? I know that for different schools, people say it's different, but what is like an ideal range that you say, okay, this is great. I would say, I would say a thousand hours. I would say anywhere from, from 500 to a thousand hours. And I, I mean like true community service hours. Like my second time applying, um, I worked for an online uh, clinic that provided free healthcare to individuals who didn't have um, insurance in the Denver area, pretty much. And I did all this through Zoom, but I went through like an entire process uh, just to get this volunteering experience. I had to go through two interviews to get to volunteer. I had to go through two interviews and then there was 50, 50 kids who interviewed with me. They took seven of us. Um, so just not, not to brag or anything, but it's just to tell you it's like okay, how you much <laughs> students, no, no, I'm not trying to, but really just emphasize the point, you know, that like you have to, like people know they want to do community service. They know it's important for your application. So, um, you know, for me, that was, it was a good one because it was something I could talk about. Um, and also like it, it led me to work with interpreters with, you know, um, with physicians remotely and online. So, you know, telemedicine is huge. So I thought it would be a cool experience. Uh, with that said, your volunteering, um, does not have to be medically related. Um, it, you can work at a homeless shelter. I know a couple of medical students, um, in Colorado, they worked at a homeless shelter and that's all they did. Um, uh, but they, they did a lot of it. I had a buddy who played guitar at a homeless shelter, um, people work at the Humane Society. I mean, you know, you name it. It's it's all stuff you can put in your application. Um, there's no right or wrong in terms of what volunteering you need to do. Um, you just need to go ahead and do, you need to go ahead and do it. Um, 
And it's, again, it's a very important part. I mean, everything's important on your application, but volunteering, I think, is one that's very easily overlooked because uh, people, they'll fill up their 15 spaces with research. Um, yeah. And I know everyone always talks about the clinical hours and various clinical hours and getting that all checked off the list, but they don't always volunteer. So yeah, no, uh, exactly. It's, it's, uh, and honestly, in my first application, like I looked at the two, uh, my first one was so research heavy. It was so not holistically filled out in the sense that, um, again, you have 15 entries for this, uh, extracurricular section and you have to write about everything. Um, again, you know, like your volunteering, your research, your grades, whatever, um, but pretty much you input everything about, so one entry, you'll put like volunteering, you'll literally click a box, you scroll down the list, it'll be like research, volunteering, clinical, uh, like it's really detailed, you click volunteering, and then you put your hours in, and then you have a paragraph, uh, it's characters actually, so it's, yeah, it's pretty much a paragraph, where you have to explain succinctly what you did. And um, again, they don't tell you anything about like, you need to tell us this or this, like you have a paragraph, you need to really explain what you did and why that's good for medicine or why that was good for you and your choice to, to go into medicine, what you learned from it. So again, being as unique as possible is, is huge. So, AKA um, if you want to go to med school, start volunteering now. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, you should. Yeah, ASAP. I mean, um, it's it's great to volunteer. I'm not gonna lie, you know, I, I wasn't someone who actively went out of my way to volunteer, um, you know, but it was something that I realized was very important for medicine in general. And, and if anything, it, it really, you know, concretized my decision to work with patients in, in one regards or another. So um, again, that's yeah, volunteering is, is a very big one. Uh, but these entries, yeah, so that's actually one of the biggest parts of the application is getting those entries filled out. Um, a tip I can give for for people who are applying is the fact that like these entries, uh, you know, you could be like, well, I have like six or seven publications or I have like six or seven different labs I worked in in undergrad, you know, like I worked in a microbiology lab, I, I worked in a biochem lab. You know, um, that's two entries out of the 15, like someone who's reading your app isn't going to care. Com combine those research, those like undergrad research experiences into one. Um, you can title, you literally give a title to your entry. I put like undergrad research experiences, plural. I didn't make two separate entries. And then in there, I literally wrote about all of my research I did in undergrad. And that only took one entry instead Wait, of two. Wait, so in, in undergrad, um, you weren't planning though on going the clinical route, right? Or were you? I can't remember if you were planning on it in college or not. Um, so, so I guess it was hard for you to have that on the forefront of your mind as far as doing the volunteer work and doing the clinical hours if you were kind of thinking about PhD, but I can't remember. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you you say PhD. PhD was actually one thing I, kn I knew I didn't want to do because um, – I liked research, but I wasn't, I was so done with chemistry, to be honest. You're not. Like, <laughs> can we collaborate on <laughs> homework enough? About it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, with that said, like I, I did envision uh, becoming a healthcare professional to some extent, like whether that be, um, you know, uh, a doctor or a nurse or something. Um, 
and pretty much my junior year was kind of a moment where um, I, I did some clinical research in Colorado uh, remotely. Again, these experiences don't need to be in person, um, but I did it remotely. And that really kind of helped, um, that, that kind of motivated me to, to start thinking about getting into medicine and stuff like that, you know, but junior and senior year of, of chemistry was like so difficult for us. I didn't really, you know, envision everything else I needed to do to apply. Um, so to be honest, I, you know, I, I didn't do volunteering in undergrad. Um, it was something I did in my career outside of college. Uh, with that said, you know, the average acceptance age of medical school and BNDO is 26. So most kids actually, you know, don't really realize they want to be doctors until the end of college. Um, there's very few individuals who get into medical school um, right out of undergrad. If they do, they're freaks. They're really, they're really smart. They've known since the beginning they wanted to do that. Um, but you know, that's really not the case for a lot of people. So, you know, people should find, you know, their assurances in the fact that, um, it's okay to realize that there's a lot of things you need to check off before you apply. Um, I knew for a fact, I wasn't going to get into school without at least going to grad school. Uh, my GPA was not high enough in undergrad, um, in order for me to, to get in, uh, let alone the fact that I didn't even take the MCAT. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, if if you're young in undergrad and you want to go into medicine, you now know that you need to get on the ball with all of this. Um, not to say don't enjoy your college years, but if you want to make it easier on yourself, you want to start early, uh, that's what you got to do. But if, if you know, you're at the end of your college career and you're not sure, you know, just make sure you really look into it. Like, go ahead, go do that volunteering, go start studying for the MCAT, get some real world experience. I mean, most of the people who, who apply and who get in, They've had professional jobs outside of college, just people who've had entire careers in the Navy in my class, wow. literally. I feel like that's that's good to hear and good to tell other people because in college, it's almost like they expect you to, everyone asks what you're doing and they expect you to know what track you're on. But in reality, a lot of people that go to med school or graduate school in general, you know, you don't go immediately after college. You have to kind of have a few years to either figure it out or get a good application together. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and, and that's like you said, that it's super uniform for any, you know, professional school you're going to be applying to. Um, it's, it's just it's, it's OK to not know. Um, it's not OK to, to be ignorant and not understand what you need to do to, to get into professional school in general. And that, that goes for for any, um, you know, and then for me, it was it was very much uh, chipping away at everything I, I knew I needed to do in order to, to make myself a standout applicant. Um, you know, what, what makes you unique is not, not the experiences that you have. Everybody does research. Everybody does volunteering. Again, it's what makes you unique and how can you uniquely write about the experiences you've had, despite some of these being very similar to some of the other students. Um, and I think it's, it, again, it's totally okay to take your time and, and find things, you know, that are interesting to you, because if they're interesting to you, you're naturally going to be able to write about these in, in a much more you know, uh, holistic and natural fashion than if you were, you know, some experience you signed up for because, you know, you heard, I want, I need to volunteer. So I'm doing volunteering. Like, unfortunately, you know, you kind of need to do a bit more digging because your application is going to require you to. So, <laughs> You're offering um, yeah. top tier advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. Um, Hey, it, it worked for me. Um, it's also a lot of what I'm saying is, is regurgitation from, from other medical students, from reading their application, uh, 
applications, plural, from listening to my brother, who's um, a surgeon in Colorado. Um, you know, I was blessed with the opportunity to have him look at my personal statement. For the application, he had no idea. He went to school abroad. So, uh, you know, the, the whole application stuff was new to me. Uh, but there was one thing that was clear was when I was reading other students' applications, it was like, holy cow, like, it's so unique what they're doing. I mean, my roommate is a, is a fourth-year medical student, uh, my ex-roommate, I should say. Um, and he, you know, was really, he, he was very spiritual. And he wrote about God and how he found God playing guitar, again, like in homeless shelters, about how he used music to help him through tough times and how he now uses music to help other people. You know, I had, I don't play an instrument, you know, like I'll trip over my own two feet, like grabbing a glass of water in my kitchen, you know? Um, so it's, it's stuff like that, that really, even to me, you know, reading it, I was like, wow, that's incredible. You know, like I want to meet this kid. So it's really about like every, again, everyone who's going to read your app, they're going to read your, the same old boring research crap that everybody does using big words does not make it that you know, better than anybody else's research. Um, it's really how you explain what you did um, in terms of, you know, yeah, your experiences, but like, how did that help you, you know, go to medicine? Like, what did you learn from this? Not just like I did a meta-analysis on laser interstitial thermotherapy. Like, wow, that sounds crazy. Like that doctor reading it knows that. Like, what did you learn from that? Right. So, um, that's that's the biggest biggest thing to take from that. Be unique. Awesome. Okay, so last question. As far as DO versus med school, what's the what is the track like or how does it differ between those two? Because I don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, and I was I was in that same boat. Um, I was under the impression that I had to strictly apply to MD. Um, because MD is, you know, medical doctor, like you are a doctor, like I wanted to be an MD because it sounds really cool. Um, and I wanted to be a doctor, you know, so I didn't really do my due diligence into, uh, what DO programs were. Um, yeah, partly, partly because of the fact that I, I couldn't put my ego down. Like if I wasn't anything but an MD, I wasn't going to medical school. Um, and then funny enough, I started shadowing surgeons in the OR who were DOs and I was like, uh, okay, well, that's interesting. You're a DO. Um, I don't know much about DO, so I guess I'll look into it. Um, so I, I started looking into what, what DO programs were. So, um, a DO is let, let's make it clear to everyone here. You are as qualified in every state, um, as an MD, and you are as qualified to do all the same type of work an MD would do. You are a physician, you manage a team, you have a service, you do the exact same thing as an MD. It is the same training. Um, the difference with osteopathic schools, so that's where DO comes from, is Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, the O stands for osteopathy, pretty much. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a more holistic way of going about patient care, meaning that you don't only treat their somatic afflictions, um, like what you physically see. It's not just their signs and symptoms. Um, osteopathic doctors tend to look at it from a more holistic angle. They look at um, a more longitudinal and spiritual based 
uh, approach in the sense that like they look into someone's socioeconomic status, they look into someone's history, um, whether that be mental illness or if they've traveled a lot, you know, like, do they have family? What exactly is it in their lives that made it so that like, not only are they sick, um, but it's, it's things from, I guess, how to explain this? It's like personal, it's like building a more personal connection with the patient and understanding like, not only why they're sick, but are what's making it worse? Like, are, are they are their symptoms worsening because they're, you know, they're sad at home, they're not taking their medications because they're sad? Um, do they have other issues that haven't been covered, you know, uh, in the hospital? So it's, it's reaching out of, of very much the the afflictions that you see at the hospital, um, and into a more personal and spiritual realm where you actually try and connect with the patient in a more longitudinal fashion and one that can actually help them, you know, give their own body the, the ability to heal. So osteopathic medicine is very much um, trying to train a patient to understand that, like, if you look good, you feel good, right? So I think it's, uh, you, you know, the, an example I could give is someone who, go, who goes to the gym, you know, like, I like to wear tank tops that show ribs at the gym because I like the way I look when I go at the gym, you know, and I sweat, I, I look good, I feel good, I get a better workout in. It's very much similar in, in the osteopathic principle where like, we want to make patients understand that like, we're not just physicians, we're physicians who are here to help them with things that they need outside of their afflictions. Um, and I feel that a lot of people, you know, feel that if, if they feel better, they're in a better place mentally and with themselves that they, you know, have a tendency to, to feel better. Um, with that said, that doesn't mean, um, it's not pseudoscience in the sense that like we're out here like playing, you know, Aladdin and like we're rubbing a magic lamp and like, you know, we're going to tell you like feel better and you're going to automatically feel better. No, like osteopathic doctors, um, DOs, they, they very much practice the same way. Uh, we do the exact same standard of care for whatever specialty you go into. Um, so with that said, uh, it's just a more holistic way of going about patient care. Um, the other thing that differs from DO and MDs is DOs don't, um, they, they usually, um, they usually don't specialize into as many specialties as an MD would. Um, that doesn't mean, yeah, so that doesn't mean we're precluded from, uh, you know, doing any type of specialty. Like if I, if I want to do surgery, if I want to do neurosurgery as a DO, I can. Like, there's nothing stopping me from that. It's the same match process outside of medicine. So after four years of medical school, you go into residency, right? Um, your residency is is going to be in the specialty you want to practice, right? So neurosurgery specialty, seven years. General practice is like three years. Um, you know, cardiology is seven years or whatever. Um, so at the end of your fourth year, you match into residency. So a hospital... Um, they'll rank students, which apply and rotate. And they'll be like, we like this one at number one. We like this guy, number two. And then the student actually, they do the same with hospitals. So they'll rank hospitals and pretty much the way the match work is they'll take your top choice and they'll match you with the highest top choice at whatever hospital, um, ranked you the highest. And then that's where you end up. It's not like college where like you get into multiple, multiple schools and you choose where you go. Uh, once you're done with medical school, you match one place and one place only, like that's where you're going. Um, so with that said, it is the same match for DO and MDs. Um, meaning that I can apply to the exact same programs as MDs do. 
I can go off and do my residency in Tampa, Florida or Reno, Nevada or, or wherever. It doesn't matter. Um, so that's the big difference that people don't understand between MDs and DOs is like they think that they're precluded from doing any from doing like more competitive specialties and things like that. Yeah, I was going to ask about how the residency works, because you just hear about residency, not whether it's, you know, each like if you're a DO or MD or whatever it is. Yeah, it's so it's the exact same residency. You come in as a resident, meaning you are a doctor, whether you are MD or DO, it is the same. Um, a lot of programs now, they it's they're both MDs and DOs. Um, so they'll pull, you know, I, I can give an example. I, I was looking at the matching for Liberty actually out of curiosity the other day. Um, and I was looking at this kid who matched in neurology at NYU um, at, at the Grossman School of Medicine. I don't know which specific hospital in that system he's at, but uh, the residency pretty much was like, M, uh, like it'll be like fifth year residents. So like residents who have are in their fifth year of their specialty in neurology, and it'll be like MD, DO, MD, DO, MD, 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 DO, MD, DO, DO, DO. You know, you get the point. So it doesn't make a difference. So when when you look at at residencies, it's it's very much the same for both. Um, it's the exact same application process out of medical school. Um, you are not precluded from any specialty as a DO. Um, with that said, there are a couple caveats to DO school. The first one being you are going against the grain um, as a DO student. And I think that a lot of people are scared uh, of that because, again, like they can't put their egos aside and they're like, I need to go to MD. Uh, it's that way or the highway. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, you're going to have to face a lot of adversity in medical school and in your medical career um, in general. So if you're very passionate about medicine and you want to be a physician for X, Y, Z reasons, go ahead and apply to MD and DO. Um, unless you're scared to, so like DO schools, like aren't usually in like big cities, like they, they have DO programs in, in, in big cities, like in Philadelphia, um, and in California, they have a couple in big cities. Um, but a lot of the DO schools are outside. So if you're, if you're afraid, you know, to not be in a big city to go to medical school, um, you know, then you might only want to consider some MD programs. With that said, there are a bunch of MD programs in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but a lot of osteopathic schools, uh, tend to focus on rural medicine for your for your training. Um, the reason why that is is twofold. A, uh, there is a shortage of physicians in rural areas in the United States. Uh, so osteopathic medical schools um, are they're pretty much trying to get kids to practice in rural areas. Like I said, that does not preclude you from going into whatever specialties. Um, you just need to understand and be conscientious of the fact that you might need to work a bit harder. Um, to get into those hospitals in those cities where you need to shadow uh, or do your sub internships, your fourth year of medical school. Um, so that's another caveat is, is understanding that like you might not be, you know, in downtown Miami um, if for, for medical school. With that said, I mean, those are crazy hard medical schools to get into. I mean, all schools are hard to get into. Um, but that, that's another big one. Um, the third one is realizing that you know, if you want, so I am putting myself in this boat. I don't necessarily want to go into rural medicine. I want to practice medicine. Again, I, you know, am beyond this whole like MDDO debate because when you really look into it, it makes no difference. Um, is the fact that I would like to work in a big city. Like I'm from DC. I'd like to practice in DC. Um, you know, I'm in Virginia for school. 
So I have to, you know, lock in some rotations my third and fourth years in D.C. But who am I competing against? I'm competing against GW. I'm competing against Georgetown. And those medical schools, they already have spots in all of those hospitals in D.C. allocated to their students. Okay, so we have we have our own hospitals in the area where we, you know, your third year of medical school is our rotation. So the school takes care of putting you in those rotations. Uh, but if I want to do a rotation, you know, at an outside site, I can very much apply for it. Uh, but you're going to have to work, and, you know, that much harder and jump through all those extra hoops to really lock in, you know, a spot at a hospital in a, you know, in an academic center that's surrounded by a lot of different universities that have their own medical schools. So it's very much like a kind of a grudge match in terms of like securing a spot for you to rotate in. Um, it's, it's obviously doable. You just have to show interest and it's good to show interest, you know, early on, um, and build reports with physicians. You know, you can shadow between, uh, years in medical school and you can go off and, you know, literally cold call physicians, you know, in DC and be like, Hey, like I'm a DO student. I'd really like to, to see if I can shadow you. And then when your third year comes around, you can be like, Oh, Hey, like, uh, you know, I'm going to apply as a sub I, they already know me. I've shadowed them, you know? So like, Help yourself out. No one, you know, in any professional school, like no one's here to guide you or hold your hand. Um, so you really need to understand that, like, if you if you want to be a doctor and you go the DO route, like you have to just be conscientious of the hospital systems that are part of your medical school, because if you don't want to stay in that area, like you have to understand that you need to apply to sub internships your fourth year before you apply to residency. Um, and those are going to be hard to find. If you don't go to the medical schools, yeah, in that it sounds area. like you have to be a little, a little bit more proactive than if you were at a medical school, school or a bigger medical school in a big city. It doesn't sound like they. I mean, it did sound like you for the residency. You said it was kind of equal. Like you have good chance of being placed where you want, but so yes, I, I say this in the sense that, in the purest sense that you know, it's medical school is, is changing and it changes every year. Um, it's, it's no longer this like old boys medical school club where like, you know, if you're a DO, you're not a real doctor. It makes no sense. It's the exact same curriculum. Actually, as a DO, you do 200 more hours of osteopathic manipulative treatment, uh, which is pretty much like learning how to, how to drain lymphs, um, and how to actually, um, help patients, uh, develop a better sense of, uh, tensegrity uh tensegrity pretty much is like um is is pretty much uh it's it's the understanding between structure and function of your muscles um so in in omt you are you are capable of actually giving these types of massages again i call them massages because i don't know the techniques yet i'm i'm going to learn them uh, but they're, they're very much techniques that help individuals, you know, cure their own aches without prescribing medicine, because there's a very big, you know, issue with op opioids worldwide. It's not just in the US, to be honest. Um, you know, so instead of prescribing medication for back pain and things like that, you can do OMT. There's actually a lot of OMT, uh, lucrative OMT practices in, in massive cities. So, you know, a lot of people are, 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 they're straying away from allopathic medicine in the sense that, you know, they don't necessarily think they might, their pills are working, you know, um, so they're going to go ahead and seek an alternative form of treatment. OMT can be one of those uh, to help with certain things. With that said, 
It's good for certain things. Um, I am not here saying go seek osteopathic, you know, OMT treatment if you have cancer. No, a DO is going to tell you, you need to go get chemo. Like I said, it's the same education. Uh, but with all that said, you know, wrapping back to placing, no residency nowadays is going to be like, oh, you're a DO, so we're going to throw your app in the trash. No. The way that works is it's all based on your scores. You have step one to take. It's the same for MD and DOs. You take step one. Uh, for DOs, you take another exam called the Comlex. So as a DO, again, you have another hoop to jump through is that you have to take another exam. You take step one, which you take after your second year of medical school, which is an exam about everything that you learn pretty much in medicine. And then for a DO, you also take the Comlex, which involves OMM and OMT type questions. Um, so pretty much you have to take two exams. Uh, that has now moved on to pass fail. So, you know, what you, you really need to be realistic in the sense that a residency, you know, um, uh, someone, let, let me backtrack, like someone who's going to look at your app in residency is going to, you know, they're going to see Joe Schmo from Harvard Medical School. Okay, great. And then they're going to see Oscar Chatain from, you know, Liberty uh, DO program. Okay, so step one is now pass fail. So what puts what sets me apart from Joe Schmo at Harvard Medical School, given we're applying to the same residency, right? Um, so that's step two. So as long as you nail step two, it makes no difference if you're an MD or a DO. If you're an amazing qualified applicant, you're gonna get that spot. Um, I say this, I'm gonna like cry and like starting very soon. But this is again, this is very much anecdotal from DOs who've gone on to do a very competitive specialty. Actually, there's a DO who just matched into neurosurgery at CU. Uh, his name is uh, Dr. Michael Quartz. He went to Kansas City, University of uh, Kansas. It's KCU-COM, I'm pretty sure. So he went to DO school in Kansas City. Um, and I will tell you right now, like he probably worked his butt off to match into neurosurgery. Um, and I think that probably one of the reasons why that is was because he was realistic about his expectations and he knew that he needed to do a whole lot more to put himself apart, you know, because step one is pass or fail. So, you know, he had to crush step two as well. Uh, I mean, given the fact when when he applied, he he had a step one score. But again, it's the same thing, right? He probably had an amazing step one score that he worked very hard for. Um, I know he did research at CU for free. So he took time to do neurosurgery research as a DO before applying because he knew that there was differences in the way, you know, MD and DOs uh, were not necessarily seen, but what is necessarily expected. Um, and unfortunately, you know, DO schools, they don't have as much research opportunities. Um, it depends. I mean, a lot of DO schools now they have met, they're from massive academic centers. Um, actually, a lot of universities now have both MD and DO programs. Michigan State has an MD program. They also have a DO program. Uh, NSU in Florida has an MD program. They have a DO program. Um, so it's it's very much, you know, like if you go to those schools, you have great, you know, opportunities for that. I go to a D1 school here. So I, there's, a, there's an entire building dedicated for us to do research, which is great. Um, but, you know, if you want to do research and you want to build reports with physicians, you know, who are not in your system or in a different city, you just got to have that go-get attitude, you know. Um, with that said, applying to DO school, it is just as hard as applying to MD. I got rejected from 99% of DO schools I applied to. I applied to all of them. I got in, I got four interviews, two acceptances. 
So first of all, for anyone, your interview is not a guarantee um, that you will get in. And second of all, DO schools, the rate of getting in um, is around 8%. It's 7 or 8%. In some schools, it's even lower. I think Liberties is 4 or 5%. Um, so they get, they have, it's, it's the exact same. They get around eight, 10,000 applicants, um, compared to like the 10 to 14,000 applicants in MD programs, but it's the same amount of seats every year. So it's 150 seats a year. Um, so if you do the math, like all you got to do is like go on a deal school and you look at their like acceptance rate or like sometimes they won't post them. So you just have to do the math and you realize that like, it's, it's just as competitive as MDs. And it's because now people are realizing that they go in DR MD, it makes no difference. You get in where you go. No. I was just going to say, I'm kind of surprised people aren't starting to go the DO route and lean towards that now. Just knowing that we know you have to look at things a little bit more holistically. I mean, I'm not sure, exactly sure what your different, your curriculum differences are as far as that, but like, Sometimes people don't want to say that they're going to a doctor because they are like, I want to look at it holistically and I want to go to a doctor that will look at it holistically. So in a way, I'm, a, I'm surprised that people are, I'm not surprised that people are kind of starting to lean towards DO school a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you nailed it on the head. I, I can give an example. I, I just met her two days ago. Um, she's uh, in my class and this girl um, actually said, to me that she got MD interviews and she actually retracted all of her MD interviews to go to DO school and specifically Liberty because she had uh, an epiphany in the sense of how she wanted to treat patients. Um, she didn't want to see patients, you know, as, as, as a number. And unfortunately, you know, that's nothing against any types of, of, you know, physicians out there, but sometimes, you know, you're so weeded in the sense of how much work you have and, and the patients that you have, you know, Hospitals nowadays with the, with the pandemic, everything have become so saturated that you don't really have time to deal with people um, in, in the same way you would if you went to, um, you know, a hospital that wasn't in a, in a bigger town. Um, you know, I think this whole debate of, of holistic care um, depends on the specialty you go into. And this includes MD and DO because you can be a DO, but um, you can be a DO neurosurgeon. Right, yeah. You're not going to have time, you know, to talk to someone. You're not going to be using crystals to heal anything. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're not going to be rubbing the salt <laughs> Um So it's it's very much like, um, I think, and again, that's why like a lot of DOs, they don't tend to specialize. Again, you're not precluded from specializing in anything. But I think that a lot of people go into DO school for the fact that they want to have longitudinal care with their patients and they want to be there as a spiritual guide, um, you know, to really help them come to terms with their illness um, and how they can empower patients themselves to help themselves feel better, if that makes sense. Um, again, the like DO schools aren't out here, like, uh, you know, publishing pseudoscience bullshit about, you know, like, yeah, all we got to do is tell you these magic words, you'll feel better. No, like there is scientifically proven osteopathic manipulative treatment uh, protocols that you can use to actually alleviate symptoms for very specific is uh, issues, uh, notably like lower back problems, um, as well as like lymph drainages. Uh, but apart from that, you know, it's it, it really depends on the specialty you go into. Um, and I'll tell you from my personal experience, um, again, I will put myself in this boat. People will go to DO schools if they don't get into MD schools. 
Um, and funny enough, it's, it's kind of ironic because two years ago, it was actually harder to get into DO schools and MD programs because more kids were applying to DO schools thinking that it would be easier to get in. Unfortunately, that's not the, that's not as much as the case anymore. MD programs are still more competitive. They are technically still harder to get into, but the difference between getting into school where the acceptance rate is 3% and a school where the acceptance rate is 7%. It's yeah, I feel low. like in college like, uh, too, you don't hear, you just hear med school, med school, med school. All the time. So if you're a young, you know, yeah. 20, at what, 21, and you're applying, taking your MCAT, you're just doing what everyone's kind of encouraging you to do, you don't really look at the other options because that's what you're told is do med school, apply to med school. Exactly. Yep. Totally. And actually, in a deal interview, I, I had that question come up. Like, some of the, my interviewers were like, why are, you, why are you going DO? And I was like, you know, like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I had... Um, I didn't, I was not told the difference between an MD and DO, you know, my counselor never told me that. So I was really, heck, my counselor told me not to apply to medical school. Um, with that said, you know, like I, I just had no idea what that was. And I was so stuck, you know, in this world of MD. And then I, I didn't even look, you know, at any physicians or, or residencies. And then all you have to do is just pull up any residency and you'll see it's like MDs and DOs. And then I was like, wait, what the fuck? So I looked up what a DO was, and then I realized that it's it's a it's um it's an osteopathic, not allopathic type of medicine. With that said, ninety nine percent of it is the same medicine. So once I really wrapped my head around that, that's where I applied DO. Where I was like, okay, like uh, now I'm like fully okay with going the DO route because it it, it really makes no difference. It doesn't in, hurt my, my pride career. enough to not apply. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but exactly. I mean, you know, like, I think it's important, like people like they, they need to put their pride aside when they're when they're applying to medical school. Like I, you know, I was under the influence where it was like, if I if I'm not an MD, then like, I don't want to do anything else. And then I realized I don't want to do anything else but medicine. And I got into DO school. And when you're in residency, it doesn't matter. You're a physician, you have graduated from medical school, you are a doctor, DO or MD it doesn't matter. You know, so for me, like, you really have to picture it long game. And you really have to picture the extra hoops you have to jump through. And that's the real, that's, that's really what it is. Like that is the, the realism of, of medicine in, in the DO route. You just have to be conscientious about the extra stuff you have to do because DO schools are technically like more recent than MD programs. Um, but with that said, you know, if, if you're very passionate about going into medicine and again, if you can truly ask yourself, um, why you want to be a physician, whether that be MD or DO, compared to a PA, compared to a nurse, compared to an NP, an OT, an MA, um, you know, and you realize that's what you want to do, then go for it. Don't be afraid to apply MD and DO. Unless you want to, I don't know, go to SLS beach parties on Sundays in Miami, then I don't know, maybe. maybe <laughs> I know that's actually what you wanted to do, but you figured med school or DO school. Yeah, and <laughs> pretty much. And then my, actually, I applied to Miami. They sent me their secondary, and it was like 15 essays. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. So I threw that one out. Um, yeah, just a side note. I guess I didn't mention this. Um, for medical schools, you have the primary application. And then you actually send, you have to pay to each school you send your primary application so to. And then each school sends you a secondary. So you may or may not receive a secondary. Some schools actually screen harder than others. Some schools will send you a secondary just so you pay it. And then they reject you off the bat. Happens all the time. 
but some schools they'll screen you and then they'll be like, hey, actually, we think you're a pretty good candidate. Here's your secondary application. MD and DO, same thing. You get secondaries from, from all those programs. Secondary application, more questions, but they're more pertinent to the school. Like, why do you want to come to this school? Um, you know, like, what do you see yourself doing here? Like, what skills do you think you can bring to the community at, you know, X or Y school? Yeah. So they're more pertinent to the school you sent your app to, pretty much. And you pay for both. You pay for both. Yeah. So it's 30, your primary app is around like, um, couple hundred dollars just to get it like certified and then it's thirty dollars per school you send it to and then each secondary is anywhere between 50 to 150 dollars so if you're listening to this and you're applying start saving now yeah i think in total for md and do last cycle i hashed out around um four grand oh my goodness (laughs) Yeah, so four grand, including like retaking the MCAT, um, oh. retaking the MCAT, and then pretty much paying for the Casper. So some schools require you to take another exam called the Casper. It's a situational uh, exam. Okay, so I just want to clear this out to everybody out there. The Casper is not something you need to study for. Um, it is ridiculous what they make you do. You watch a like a two minute video about how some lady came in she wants to return a toy for a terminally ill child she doesn't have the receipt what do you do like they literally like that's question asked you they gave you 30 seconds to answer what you would do those questions they just want to make sure you're not a psycho like uh so (laughs) did you study for it are you saying this because you studied for it i no actually i didn't i the day before i went over practice questions just to kind of understand like what kind of videos i'd be watching but they're pretty much like they put you in a situation and they want you to figure it out. There's no right or wrong answer is what I'm saying. They want you to just explain your answer. Apparently there's a score that you never receive. So you pay to take this exam, you get a score, which you'll never know. And they send it to the schools. Um, And again, uh, the Casper is a money grabber. I'm not afraid to say it. It is a situational awareness exam. So make sure you're not a psycho. Honestly, they're going to see that at your <laughs> They um, should, so, at least. So, uh, yeah, they should, at least. I mean, shit, maybe it was good I took the Casper. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that is another thing you have to do. Um, some schools require it, both MD and DO. So I had to take it for a couple of schools, and that's a couple hundred dollars as well. It's now. Well, I'll probably end on that, so I won't be taking much more of your time. But thank you for all of your advice. I feel like I could apply at this point. Like, I would know exactly what to do to apply. <laughs> you should. I know you can't apply, dude. Do an MD PhD. Oh, gosh. I'd be like... <laughs> they have deal PhDs Do now, they really? Actually. Okay, well, thanks for joining the podcast. Um, you are always welcome back if you have more knowledge to bestow on, on the audience. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for having me, Jill. Hopefully, uh, that wasn't too much rambling. Um, there's just so much to cover for this type of topic. Uh, but hopefully, you know, I hope that people find this interesting. Um, they can always reach out to my personal email, uh, which is oscar.chatain.gmail.com. Uh, with any type of questions they have, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Yeah, I can put your email in the show notes below. But, Perfect. Yeah. Sounds good, Joe. Keep rocking on. Mm-hmm.